0: good morning church our scripture this morning comes from chapter from the book of Romans chapter 14 verses 10 through 19 why do you pass just judgment on your brother or you why do you despise your brother For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love, but what you eat do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This has been the reading of God's word.
1: Well, good morning, Docs of Church. It is good to be with you this morning as we worship God together. Um, for those of you who are not able to be here with us in person and you are watching online, we hate that we can't see your face and hear your voice, but we pray that you'll feel the presence of God this morning wherever you might be as we continue to worship together. By the way, if you're visiting with us here this morning, I want you to know that we are all about joyfully worshiping Jesus with our whole lives. And we want to be a people here who wholeheartedly worship God. A phrase that we've started using around here is we want to be an awakened people sent by God to awaken others. God has awakened us to him and to his glory. He's adopted us into the family of God by grace through faith in Jesus. And now we want to be a people who share the fantastic news of the gospel with the rest of the world. That is what we want to be about here as a church. It would probably be good for me to introduce myself. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, My name is David Duran, and I am the church planting resident here at DOXA. My family and I and our, our church here, we are prayerfully working towards planting a church in Plymouth, Massachusetts in 2022. And for the next year and a half, my family and I, we're going to be learning from the leadership here at DOXA as we prepare to make the transition to New England. I think think it's safe to say that this has been an unusual and a difficult year for all of us, and this has certainly been true in the church planting world. Um, In a lot of ways, the the church planting playbook has been tremendously altered as a result of what we've experienced this year. Um, Even just the way that we think about planting a church, it's changed so much from January to where we are now. Um, I, was, I was talking with a, another church planter just a couple of weeks ago, and he's a little bit closer to, to planting his church than where we currently are. And he told me, he said, you might as well forget everything that I told you back in January. And he was being, he was, he was joking, obviously, a little bit when he said that, but his point was a lot has changed in how we plant churches. And I just, I mentioned that to you this morning because we really need your prayers, we desperately need the Lord to guide and to establish this church in Plymouth, Massachusetts. So please, please keep myself, keep my wife, Margot, our two daughters, Antalya and Tatum, please keep us in your prayers. And if you think about it, just pray that the Lord would, would carry us and that he would equip us and that he would get us exactly where we need to be, excuse me, in terms of, of planning this church. And uh, and speaking of prayer, before we jump into our passage, I just want to pray and ask the Lord for help, ask him to bless our time together, and then uh, we'll look at our passage together this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for bringing us here together this morning to worship you. Father, we thank you for the privilege that that is the honor that that is, for the joy that that brings to us when we worship you, our God. Lord, I know right now in our lives there are a lot of heavy things that everyone in this room is dealing with. Father, I pray that this morning that as we read your word, as we encounter you in your word, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would touch our hearts, Lord, that you would encourage us that you would revive the, the weary soul that's here this morning. God, I pray that we would, we would sense and that we would feel your presence this morning as we worship. God, I pray for your help, Lord, as I speak this morning. God, I pray that everything that I say would be true to your word, that it would be edifying for people who are listening. Father, I pray that people would leave this morning a little bit different than how they came, Lord a little bit more awakened to you, to your goodness and to your glory. Father, we desire to hear from you this morning, so speak to us through your word. We know that you will. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You know, one of the greatest problems that is plaguing the church in this country is a lack of distinctiveness. Here's here's what I mean by that. People who are generally unfamiliar with Christianity, they look at the local church, and they look at Christian community, and they honestly cannot feel, they cannot see a difference between how Christians live and how those who do not know Jesus live their lives. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this when talking with people who are skeptical of Christianity. In many cases, they just can't see the difference between authentic Christian community and the community that they see in other areas of their lives. Those who belong to Christ should do life differently. Christians should have different priorities and different rhythms of life. In our passage this morning, Paul is once again reminding the Christians in Rome that because of their union with Christ, Because of their justification by grace through faith in Christ, their lives must look distinctively different from the rest of the world. Thus far as we've looked at Romans, we've seen Paul lay the theological foundation for what we believe as Christians. And I think it's it's really important for us to remember this as we work through these last couple chapters of Romans. I'm sure you've, you've probably noticed in previous weeks that there are a lot of imperatives that Paul gives. There are, there are commands, there's things that we, we must do as believers. But we will completely miss what Paul is saying here if we forget the foundation that he's already laid for us. Remember that Paul explains in, in Romans 1 that sin is the great problem for humanity. Because we are all rebels against God, both by nature and by choice, God's wrath is upon us. Because we have broken God's law, we deserve his punishment. And that's very bad news, but it's also very important news. It's bad to have cancer, but it's even worse to know that you don't, even ha- that, that you don't have cancer. Paul goes on to say that it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be restored to a a righteous standing before God. John the Apostle put it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We're justified by placing our belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And because of this, we have peace with God. Friends, that is the good news of the gospel. Jesus took the penalty and the shame that we deserve because of our sin when he died on the cross. And by trusting in and relying in Christ and his perfect sacrifice on the cross, instead of our own attempts at good deeds, we can be forgiven. We can be made right with God. In Jesus' resurrection, it proves that his sacrifice on the cross was the perfect sacrifice for sin. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, that is the core of what we believe. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, you need to be reminded of this glorious reality each and every day. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of looking into the eyes of someone who begins to understand and to receive the the good news of the gospel for the first time. And I'm, I'm sure not everyone's experience is like what I'm going to describe, but what I've typically seen is a look of both shock and delight all at the same time. Shocked that a holy God would love them so much and send his son to die in their place and delighted that they can have a relationship with this God who loves them. Church, let's never forget that experience of both shock and delight that we had when we received the gospel for the first time. So with this, with this at the forefront of our minds here, remembering what Paul has already laid down, remembering our experience of the gospel, let's look at what Paul is saying in our passage this morning. I want to read it again for us, Romans 14, 10 through 19. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to To look at it, if not, you can just listen to me here. Paul writes, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, And every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I think it's important for us to remember that although there are different things that are going on in this passage... Paul really has just one focus in chapter 14 and even into chapter 15. It seems that the thing that's at the forefront of Paul's mind here is unity in the church. Paul does not want the believers in Rome to be divided over inconsequential things. That's what we started looking at last week in verses 1 through 9 in Romans 14. The church is being warned against unnecessary judgment and unnecessary division. That word unnecessary is very important in that last statement that I made because there will be times when division is unavoidable. In some of Paul's other letters, uh, Paul does address areas where Christians should distance themselves from those who would profess to be Christians. Just one example of this is in Galatians chapter one, verses eight and nine. Listen to this language from Paul. He writes, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That is pretty strong language from Paul. And I point just that one example out to you because there will be times when division is unavoidable. Nonetheless, we should seek unity with those who profess faith in Christ, if at all possible. Last, last week in Romans 14, Paul was addressing a problem that started in the church over food. The weak in faith are confused over what they are allowed to eat. And these are probably Christians who come from a Jewish background, and they're confused at how some of the Old Testament law applies To them now. And the strong in faith, they need to be aware of this because they don't want to, to cause confusion or cause their brothers and sisters to stumble in the faith. Those who are confused over what they're allowed to eat, they're missing the bigger picture, though. They've they've really failed to see the implications of Christ's death and resurrection. What they're allowed to eat, that really is not the issue. But because of this confusion over food, Christians are passing unnecessary judgment on on one another and division is being caused in the church. That is what Paul is speaking against in verses 10 and 12. 10 and 12 kind of look back on verses 1 through 9 that we looked at last week. Paul writes, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to God. What Paul is saying here, it's very important that we understand this. Brothers and sisters, there is one judge and it is not you and it is not me. God is the perfect and righteous judge and all will answer to him. The same point is made by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.10 when he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You know, it's interesting. If you look at verse 10, it says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. But then you see in verse 11, we will not remain standing. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will give praise to God. That's what that word confess there means, give praise to God. Something for us to consider this morning is what will be the posture of our heart when our knee does in fact bow and we do give God the praise that he's due. Will our knee bow willingly to the God of the universe? Or will we forcibly fall to our knees as we feel the weight of and the majesty of God's glory. I was up late last night praying for everyone who would be in this room today, praying that you would see God for who he truly is, that you would trust Christ so that your knee would willingly bow before the king of glory. Friends, we have have no right to pass judgment on our brothers and sisters in the faith because we are not the judge. God is the judge. And we will all have to give an account for our behavior. I think many Christians, we don't pay enough attention to what Paul says in verse 12. Even as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, we will answer for the way that we treat others. Our conduct is important to God, especially when it comes to how we're treating other brothers and sisters in the faith. You know, I've only... I've only been in ministry for a couple of years now, but I've spoken with some more seasoned pastors in these past few months, and many of them right now, this is what they've they've told me, that they've never seen the church more divided and more judgmental than right now. What Paul is saying in chapter 14 here is so applicable to where we find ourselves today. I know there are people in this room this morning that have different political views. I know there's people in this room that uh, disagree on secondary theological issues. We may uh, disagree on aspects of raising children or money or how we evangelize and disciple people. There's a host of other uh, issues that we could think about here. But the point is there are very important things that Christians can gracefully disagree on in a way that does not lead to judgment and a fracture of gospel unity. When we're talking about judgment, we're talking about an attitude of superiority or an attitude of condemnation. We can disagree in a way that doesn't lead to judgment. We need to be extremely careful for dealing with an attitude of unnecessary judgment. We may end up sinning in a way that does great damage to our brothers and sisters, that does great damage to the church. If you're, str- if you're here this morning and you're struggling with that concept of, of passing judgment on a brother or sister, this could change things for you. I want you to know that you can have peace, you can have peace in your heart because God will do the judging. He is the perfect judge. He will set the record straight we're going to see in just a minute here, there are other things that we need to be concerned about as the church. Leave the judgment to the perfect judge who never errs in his judgment. Looking now at verse 13 here, we see Paul summing up verses 1 to 12. And then he sets a new focus for us. Paul writes, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. What Paul is saying is, what, what Paul is, says, instead of worrying about division and judgment, decide not to put a stumbling block or a, a spiritual, don't do anything that would cause spiritual downfall on the part of someone else. We need to be sure that we're not using the freedom that we have in Christ to cause another to sin. In Paul's context, some Christians who knew they had the freedom to eat meat could do harm to other believers by eating meat in their presence. That was the specific issue that Paul was addressing here. In our context, the truth of what Paul is saying is probably going to apply a little bit different. The bottom line, we don't want to use the freedom that we have in Christ to confuse and destroy the conscience of others. Here's a quick little example of what I mean by that. So I have a really good friend, and he is a, a follower of Jesus Christ, and he uses smokeless tobacco. He knows, obviously, that this is not good for him. We can debate over, this, over whether this is sinful or not, but he, he uses smokeless tobacco from time to time. One day, my friend and I, we found ourselves ministering in a context Or smokeless tobacco is heavily frowned upon. There was even the potential, this may sound silly, but this was the reality. There was a potential that people's faith could be wrecked. They could be very, they would be very, very confused if they saw him using tobacco. So you know what he did? He threw it away. He didn't use it. He didn't want to use the freedom that he had in Christ to destroy others. That's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about. Don't use freedom that we have on debatable matters to destroy the conscience of others. We have to be careful that the freedom that we have does not lead to evil. You know, Jesus, he made a number of sacrifices and taking on flesh and suffering on the cross. And there will be times where we also must sacrifice. Now I recognize that Christian freedom issues and issues of conscience are not always black and white. They're typically in that that gray area. But it would be my hope that we would at least be aware when it comes to putting spiritual stumbling blocks in front of others. And when we're unsure about something being a stumbling block for others, pray and ask God for wisdom. He will not withhold from the one who asks. Also, talk with with other Christians if you're unsure about a specific case where you could be causing someone to stumble in exercising your Christian freedom. There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. We really, we just want to make sure that we are walking in love towards one another. Look there at verse 15. It says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So are are we, here's a question for us, are we walking in love when it comes to differing views on issues of conscience among Christians? And please keep in mind, this is important, keep in mind that you can disagree on something and still be walking in love. You can disagree on something until and still take steps to practice unity. I think this this is one of the big mistakes we can make when looking at this passage and and thinking about unity in the body of Christ. Unity does not mean that we have to agree perfectly on non-essential matters. In fact, our unity as Christians is actually a pretty powerful witness when we do have places of disagreement, but we still walk in love together. I have Christian brothers and sisters that I will passionately disagree about or passionately disagree with on important theological issues. They think that I am wrong, and I think that they're wrong. We disagree strongly on important but not essential issues. We have to remember the difference there. But we disagree on important things. But even though we disagree, we have great love and respect towards each other. And I think that our our unity, despite our disagreement on some things, it says something about something powerful about our love for God and our love for one another. Church, thus, thus far we've seen that we must refrain from pointing a judgmental finger towards a Christian brother or sister, and we need to use our Christian freedom wisely and walk in love towards one another. But look now at verses 17 through 19. Paul is gonna lay out for us what really matters in the kingdom of God. Let's read those verses again. Paul writes, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. There's a lot we could say about the term kingdom of God that Paul uses here. We're not gonna go down that rabbit hole this morning, but I do want you to see, and I do want you to know that the kingdom of God includes the rule of God. And the church is the community of the kingdom. God is the one who rules Doxa Church and our Christian community here. And what's important in the kingdom of God is not matters of eating and drinking. Instead, we see that righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, that is really what matters. What Paul's saying saying here is that all of these blessings that he just mentioned, these things come as a, a result of our experience of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Church, if we're going to be a community of the kingdom of God where righteousness and peace and joy are present, we must experience the power of the Holy Spirit. We must know the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. There are a number of ways that we can experience the Holy Spirit in a way that leads to the blessings that Paul is talking about. But it begins when the Holy Spirit gives life to our dead hearts. When we come to know Jesus. This is where it all begins. We do not experience the Holy Spirit in a way that leads to righteousness, peace, and joy apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also experience the power of the Holy Spirit when we gather together for worship on Sundays. Or when we pray together. Or when we we read our Bibles we experience the Holy Spirit when we use the gifts that he has given us and, 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 or, or when the Holy Spirit guides us as we walk through uh, difficult circumstances all while relying on him. There are, a lot, there are a lot of ways that we can come to know and experience the Holy Spirit, but the result of our knowing the Holy Spirit in our life together should be righteousness, peace, and joy. When Paul talks about righteousness here, He's talking about an ethical righteousness. Righteousness is a key theme in Romans. And here, again, Paul is talking about our behavior. We've already mentioned that this morning. Our behavior, it really does matter. The Christian life is not just about theological insight and knowledge. Our theological understandings, they should always lead to profound life change. We want to be honorable in our behavior towards one another. We also see here that, that peace is a critical aspect of life in the kingdom of God. Because we belong to Christ, we are able to have peace regardless of the circumstances that we're in. This is true even when life is difficult and demanding. You know, one of the things that has helped me experience the peace of God in a profound way is singing. I do not sing well. You don't want to be around me when I sing. But singing praises to God is like medicine for my soul. When I sing good songs that talk about the character of God, I I can't really explain it, but I experience God's peace in a tangible way. Singing praises to God has been my personal antidote to despair. But here... Paul's not just talking about the peace that we experience as individuals in the kingdom. He's also talking about the harmony and the support that we should have for one another. The kingdom of God, the rule of God, it brings peace to the heart of an individual and to the collective heart of the local church. Finally, we see here that joy is present where God rules. Joy, joy is just going to happen in a place where righteousness and peace are present. Joy is just going to be the natural reaction. Brothers and sisters, our worship and our life together should be filled with joy. Of course, this doesn't mean that life will always be easy and that we won't ever face difficulties. We know that this is not true. This doesn't mean that we have to fake a smiling face on Sunday when really we are broken inside but the joy that we experience in the kingdom it does produce an unshakable confidence in God so that even when we are sorrowful we can always be rejoicing friends the righteousness the peace and joy of the kingdom it pushes us into the service of Christ. Don't don't miss this here in what Paul's saying. Look again at verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. The connection here is that when we are pursuing matters of the kingdom, things like righteousness, peace, and joy, we are serving Christ in this. We are serving Christ when we make matters of the kingdom a central part of of our lives as individuals and our lives together. I want to be real clear on this next statement that I'm about to make. The church is not the kingdom of God. The church is the community of the kingdom, but the church is not the kingdom of God. But I think when we take our life together in the church seriously, it shows that the kingdom of God is a central part of our lives. When we take our job as members here in the church seriously, it shows that the kingdom of God is a central part of our lives. Part of our job here as members includes discipling one another, caring for one another, praying for each other. And I would say that when these things are important to us, then the kingdom of God is important to us. Our passage this morning, it closes with a summary statement and then it sets us up for the next points that Paul is going to make, which we'll get to, we're going to do four weeks on an Advent series, so we'll get to Romans, I guess, in January sometime. So keep this fresh, maybe read over it in the holidays so you know, you, you remember where we're going. But Paul closes with this summary statement and he sets us up for the future. Verse 19 says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual up- upbuilding." Paul is talking about a kind of peace here that that strengthens the faith of brothers and sisters who belong to Christ. Can you see just how throughout this passage as we've looked at it, unity in the church is Paul's central point. We can have values, we can have a mission statement and all these other things in our churches, but we're gonna be unsuccessful in whatever we try to do if we don't have unity among us if we're distracted by issues of eating and drinking or political affiliation or any other secondary issue, friends, we fail to seek what really matters in the kingdom of God. Sideways energy is exhausting, and it's also a complete waste of time. Instead of laboring and wasting time on things that are insignificant Let's labor tirelessly together on the things that are significant. I'm not saying that some of those things aren't important, but we need to make sure that all our focus isn't going into those things while the things of the kingdom of God are neglected. So I I wanna invite everyone in here to do something this morning. You certainly do not have to do this if you don't think that it applies to you, but I want to invite all of us to spend just a minute of um, just a minute repenting from some of the things that we've seen in our passage today. Maybe you need to repent of a judgmental attitude towards a brother or sister here in our church. And this might even include you speaking with them after the service and confessing to them. But let's begin, let's begin with repenting to the Lord. Maybe you have been exercising your Christian freedom in a way that is causing others to stumble in the faith. I invite you to repent of that before God this morning. Perhaps you've not been walking in love in your conduct or you've, you've failed to see what truly matters in the kingdom of God. I hope that these next couple of minutes can be a time of repentance for you. And in just a minute, We're gonna experience one of the most powerful acts in our life together as Christians that that demonstrates our unity when we take communion together. It's my prayer that there would not be any fractures in the unity of this body here at Doxa Church. It's my prayer that in our life together as Doxa Church, we would show that we are a community of the kingdom of God. So I'm gonna pray and as I'm actually, you know, what I'm, doing, I'm going to, I'm going to give us just a minute of quiet and a time for us to repent and pray and ask the Lord to reveal to us any areas where we need to repent of a judgmental attitude or any of the other things that we've talked about. And I'm going to close this in prayer and Dale is going to lead us in communion. So let's, let's have a moment of silence here as we seek the Lord. Father, I pray that our church would be a place where Christian unity is practiced. Lord, where we would disagree but still walk in love towards one another. That we would still care deeply for one another. Lord, that we would be a place where a world that is so polarized and Judgmental could look at people and say, even though I know they don't agree on everything, those people love each other and they're united together in what they do believe, they're passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that that would be an undeniable aspect of our life together as Doxa Church. Father, we thank you for your son, we thank you that we thank you for the unity that we experience in the gospel, Lord. Father, we thank you that you have forgiven us of our sin, that we have eternal life, life that it doesn't just affect the future, but it affects us now, Lord, in the way that we live. Father, I pray that you would help us to glorify you and honor you and worship you in all that we do. Father, I pray that you'll bless the rest of the service as we continue in our worship of you.